movie ranking industry or publication. They did just that. They ranked movies in special, specific categories. The, the best comedy of all time, they said, was Groundhog Day. The best on-screen kiss occurred in Spider-Man. And the best horror film of all time was Silence of the Lamb. But it was recently, I looked it up recently, it was, it was beat out uh, just this past year by a movie called Get Out. Anybody seen that? The movie Get Out? Yeah, everybody in the balcony. They're kind of get out people up there. They've seen that movie. A top 10 movie recently added to the top 100 best horror movies of all time. A movie called Let Me In. Now that just sounds scary, right? Let Me In? No. Get Out. There are films, that, horror films I think about. I think about the shark attack in Jaws and the, the shower, the, the knife scene in Psycho and the clown scene in Poltergeist. And I ask myself and you the question today, why do we pay money to be scared when fear is free every day? When I was a young man a long time ago, out of college, I was single and living in Florida, and I had a roommate named Travis King. You don't know him, but I'll tell you a bit about him. He was six foot seven. He worked for the Fishery Wildlife Division. I called him the Arboreous One. He was tall, he looked like a tree. And one day the Arboreous One came home to me, his roommate, and he said, Hey, I'm gonna be getting a snake. He said, Don't worry, <laughs> I'll keep them in my room. And one day, a day for me that will live in infamy, the details are very rich and vivid in my mind today, as I tell you, I was, uh, it was after church, I was sitting on the sofa, lying down, watching uh, the NFL on Fox, and I heard a loud, odd, thumping sound come from the kitchen. And I turned around, raised up and turned around, and realized it was my reptile roommate. And half of his body was scaling up on the, the cabinetry in the sink area. And the other half was slapping the kitchen floor, just kind of taunting me, if you will. And I don't know a lot about snakes. I know that they, they, they're sneaky. They slither around. They contort their bodies and get out of cages. And they kill their victims slowly. <laughs> and, of course, I'm here today. As you realize, only three out of the four of those things occurred. He, he was sneaky, slithered out, you know, contorted the body, and got out and taunted me. Well, I panicked. I, I did what you would do. You can be a man and freak out by snakes, right? Some of you shake your head. I need, I need your support. I feel naked up here. So I ran out. Now, this was a day before cell phones or fancy things. So I was like yelling for my neighbors, whom I knew fairly well. And then I was looking in the yellow pages. Anybody remember yellow pages? Really thick book, you know, that, that killed a lot of trees to, to, to get those to us. And so I was like, you know, professional snake killer. I didn't know who to call. I knew it was above Terminex or Orkin or something like that. So I leave the apartment to, to gather some neighbors, some friends, and by the time we got back, check this out, we could not find the snake. And we looked in every room, it was a little apartment, little apartment, but we looked in every room, high and low, every corner and crevice, every nook and cranny, no snake. I left the door open, maybe, no, I don't know. But let me tell you, that night, can you imagine if you were me so long ago, that night when I turned out the lights in this little apartment, and I went to sleep. Could you imagine how difficult that was? How many of you think I actually turned the lights out and tried to sleep? Anybody? Like, not a chance in the world would I, would I ever try to sleep with a snake. And you wouldn't either. You wouldn't. You know, there's a theology of sleep in the Bible. In Psalm chapter 3 and verse 5, it says the following. I lie down and sleep. That's so evasive for some of us, isn't it? I wake again. That's good. Because the Lord sustains me. That's why he can lie down. That's why he can go to sleep long before any sleep aids, long before any harmful side effects that come with the sleep aids. 
he says, it's this vertical relationship with God. And because of him, because he sustains me, I can lie down, I can go to sleep, and I trust that I can wake up again, that I will. He sustains me. You know, we have fears, don't we? In this series, we looked, as we opened it last week, we looked at the story of Jesus sailing the Sea of Galilee with his disciples and when they were fearful and what he says to them. And this week in a moment, we're going to look at Psalm 27 and what David said uh, so long ago. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 27. We're going to put it up and read it in just a moment. We're going to get there. But you know, each and every weekend, no matter what a book of the Bible we're walking through, no matter what character sketch we're getting deep into, no matter what theme we're looking at, we look at ancient inspired scripture and we relate we connect the ancient inspired scripture and stories to our stories today and isn't it remarkable how God uh, can do that I mean it just rings with relevance to things that you're going through but there's some differences it's why in understanding the Bible it's so important to do culture and history and context time and place it's really important and you guys know that some of the things that they dealt with like when you read the psalmist and you read the prophet Isaiah and Ezekiel and some of the things they were afraid of it doesn't connect to where you are in a modern world detail to detail there's some of it doesn't connect but also hey guys some of the things that we fear some of the things that we go through they didn't have to worry about for your amusement, to keep some of you awake for a moment, I want to show you a video clip of a guy that I think is really uh, brilliant and pretty daring. I like his personality. I like his swag. But you know that a, a majority of Americans, so maybe a majority of us in here at the 11 o'clock service, a majority of Americans say that one of their growing fears is that the government is spying on them. Okay, corporate invasion of privacy, governmental agent of invasion of privacy. Most Americans feel like somebody's watching. So that's why I appreciate this guy, Jack Vale and Paranoid. Take a look. You know she's in the cleaning area? Kind of where all the cleaning supplies are? I don't know. She got something at home to clean, probably. She's kind of debating on what to... Oh, she's reaching up for the purple gloves. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, that's fine. I don't see any problem with that. Apparently, we don't need to clean anything too bad because we're just going to go to the end of the aisle and make a right. Yeah. Okay. That's where she is now. She just put one back under the shelf. Yeah. Well, there's bread in the top section of the cart. Right. She's still looking at it like maybe there's a possibility of more, but not quite sure yet. So we're still waiting to find out. And now kind of looking at the dry uh, area as well, the dry food. Which one, the Purina or the Imes? Well, they're both looking at the candy. Yeah. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Right. Yeah, she's looking at the Christmas cards. Yeah. I don't know, she's probably gonna send some Christmas cards. Now there's one getting put back. So, it could be, well, we don't know. We don't know yet. We should put that one back. Now we got one in the left hand, though. All right, I just, okay. You know she's looking at the Christmas paper in the 
Christmas boxes, like the gift wrapping area, the gift bags and whatnot for Christmas. And you should put the lid back on the first the box. But then there's some ribbons and bows here too, so I don't know. And now we're looking at the Mary. At the, it says Mary on the top of the, the box. Now he's looking at the Christmas wreaths. I'm not sure which uh, which one she's gonna get, but there are two gray ones with two lids. So, yeah, okay, she got both of them. We're turning around right now. We're getting ready. Now we're gonna go down a different aisle. There they go. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, we might get another one. Yeah, we might. Look, looking at them and thinking about it. No, nope, we're just gonna get the two. You know that look on your face that you get sometimes when you put your hand up to your mouth and kind of contemplating something. Well, that's what's happening right now. But then it came down a little, a couple inches. So I uh, looks like a Michael Bublé CD, and it's kind of in the top section. I, I don't. Yeah. When you come to the end, she makes a right. So she looks like nope, may, maybe left. Turning around, maybe. I don't know yet. It depends on kind of how far it progresses. She's looking at the gift wrap. What are you doing? Huh? Are you following me? Me? No. our world there are new fears that we face and we're looking at old fears that they faced and last week we, we looked at that familiar story of Jesus and traveling with the disciples along the Sea of Galilee and they were threatened by this unexpected dangerous storm their very lives uh, seemed to be in jeopardy and Jesus was sleeping the disciples wake him up he gets up he rebukes the wind calms the storm and he asked them listen he asked them that a uh, very penetrating question do you remember where is your faith? So this morning I started by asking you, hey, why do we pay money to be scared when fear is free on a daily basis? Jesus asked really the more important question, which is where is your faith? And I believe that the security of your soul, the security of your soul depends on your answer to that question. So today, where is your faith? Is your faith in you? Is it in your title? in your team, in your, in your job title, is it in your tax bracket, is it in your zip code, is it in yourself, in your pursuits? Where is your faith? And that's the, the, the penetrating question that helps us move forward in life with whatever, without whatever we fear. When did fear invade your world? I know and want to teach you theologically and originally when fear invaded, it was in the beginning. You've heard of Genesis and the creation account. And God puts man and woman in a garden. It says he walked with them in the cool of the day. Isn't it good to have a cool day in the middle uh, of April? Susan's birthday, by the way. Um, I had to work that in or I'd be afraid of how she would treat me today. But anyway, God walked with them in the cool of the day. And God created, but not only did he create, he provided. God created and he provided 
people with a place to live and food to eat and beauty to enjoy. And he created for them love and intimacy to experience in relationship. He knew that his creation was ambitious, ambitious and so he gave us a rule and authority and dominion over uh, the, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and every living thing that creeps and crawls. God created us and provided for us, but sin entered in and it fractured that relationship between people, between us and God. And here we see God going and calling in the garden, a different scenario now. Light has turned to darkness and he says to Adam, to the man, where are you? And here is Adam's response, famously in Genesis 3.10, I heard you in the garden, God, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. That story is not archaic. That story is not distant and removed to who we are today as human beings. Where are you, God? Or where are you, Adam? I hear you, God. I'm afraid. I'm naked, so I hid. Now, let me ask you, was Adam naked prior to this? Yes. But what was different? You see, there was no wardrobe malfunction in this scenario, but there was sin. And that's what sin does. And here we're introduced to what every human heart deals with regularly, including the guy talking from the stage. That is, when we sin, we feel something. And what we feel separates us. Now, we can fake it. We can duck it and dodge it and act like it's not there. And some of us get very cunning and crafting with the way we live. But the fact is, when we sin, when we do wrong, when we transgress, we feel that shame, and it is so natural for us to hide. When you sin, you feel that. And it's not natural for us, natural. It's not the first inclination for any of us probably to run, to seek forgiveness, to run to the spouse or the parent or the child or the pastor or the therapist or the friend and say, here's where I sinned. Here's the, the thing that I've done. We, we're ashamed, and we feel our nakedness. We feel our aloneness. We feel that life is out of order and not as our good God creator intended it to be. And so we run and we hide. And here's what I want to say to you, so pertinent to all people, is that we need a hiding place. I'm not saying cover up your sin. In fact, I'm saying the opposite. God desires us. This makes you nervous, a lot of you. But I'm getting more and more comfortable with it the older I get because it's healing for me. And this pastor whose sins are many. But God has created the followers of Jesus, the church, to be a confessional community, not to cover up. Right? And can I say he's cleaning out his body, his bride, right now. Around the country, I'm looking at America and a hush-hush environment of church leadership and secrecy and hiding things, right? And not dealing with sin. And God's cleaning up his bride. And he'll use any source to do so. Any source. I mean, in the old, he used military and the campaigns and secular folks to come in and clean out his people if they wouldn't deal with their sin. But for us, for me and for you, we need a place where we feel safe. A place to hide. And it is with this mindset that we come to Psalm 27 about a man who was fearing evil and evildoers. And in Psalm 27, I'll read it from the screen. We'll look at verses 1 through 8. This is, as it says, a Psalm of David reading from the English Standard Version. You've heard this, hadn't you? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. And though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not, 
the war arises against me, yet I will be confident. One thing I have asked of the Lord, that I, that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, not to glance, but to gaze. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For He will hide me in His, sh- his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of His tent. He will lift me up high upon a rock, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. This, let's back up, is David. We've studied him before. A lot of you know him. One of the most famous people who's ever lived and probably one of the top three people in the story of the Bible. And David, we know, is a shepherd and a songwriter. He's a poet. Listen to me, fellas, because there are women in the room. All right, Some of you live with one. Some of you one day want to live with one, right? Single, want to be married. Listen to me. David was all man, all right? David was all man, but David learned how to express his feelings. He learned to put down his cell phone and look people in the eyes and to tell them what's deep down and to ask questions and to be fully present. He was a feeler and that's okay. He was a shepherd and a songwriter, a warrior and a king, a father and a fugitive. He had friends unlike Garth Brooks. He had friends in high places and those people in high places like King Saul became for him an adversary. Anybody have an adversary? Anybody have anybody that's against you? And you, you have anybody against you who's in a position of power? Do you have anybody that's against you that's in a position of power that's paranoid, insecure, and evil? They, if they live today, they would be diagnosed with a severe mental illness. This is David, and it's why much of his life was on the run in the vast Judean wilderness. We were just there at some of these sites and in the city of David. Oh, my goodness. And David was a man of grand ambition. You know this. In his heart, he wanted to build the temple in Jerusalem. He wanted to construct uh, the greatest, grandest house of worship ever made. But Chronicles tells us this part, this sad and lowly part in the story of David. Because he had shed blood, God chose not to use him to build the temple. He laid the groundwork, but he was not chosen to build the temple. Instead, a king who did not shed blood. Uh, His son and successor Solomon was the one who eventually built this grand temple. So we see a man of ambition. We see a spirit in David of a man who was willing. He wrote some 70-plus psalms. Psalms like the song of Psalm 8, where David, like some of you, you've gone out into the night sky and you've looked up at the vastness of creation and you've pondered it and you've thought, like David, what is man? The, 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 what is man? The, the, the one being up there who created, who is so vast and complex and intelligent. He created all this. Could he, the one who created all this, be mindful of me? He wrote Psalm 16, a song of joy where he invited others in like he did in Psalm 95 and Psalm 100 and Psalm 133 when he said, let's sing of gladness. He experienced joy. He played the harp. Doesn't seem manly, but David was manly. He played the harp. It worked well for him. It allowed him to live and brought health and happiness to others, his skill in music. David penned for us Psalm 13, the two famous words repeated several times in Psalm 13, how long? God, how long will you hide your face from me? God, how long will I cry out to you and not be heard and my voice grows parched? How long? David, feeling deeply, his spirit was willing, but his flesh was weak. This man described as a man after God's own heart, we learn, had feet of clay. David was frail. David, he burned with lust. He got outside of God's intention. It's a wonderful story that some of us, well, some of you now are learning 
But God forgives. He wipes the slate clean. Can I tell you, he does. He wipes the slate clean. But there are so often consequences. Remember we talked about this in Galatians 6, like I just put it in front of you that day a few weeks ago. You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. And David sowed some terrible seed. One sin led to another. Oh, what a tangled web we weave when we first at practice, we practice to deceive. And we learned, again, as I said, this man after God's own heart had this feet of clay. And here, here he's following God. And here he's saying that I have uh, enemies who encircle, they're encamped against me, they're evildoers. Now David uses strong language when he introduces this uh, reality of evil. Do you believe there's evil today? Shake your head. I mean, I know you believe in government intrusion, right? I'm going to follow some of you today while you're shopping, okay? That'll be me, and we'll post it online later, right? You, you, you've got some fear, and part of the big fear that we have is evil in our world today because it's real. And David uses the language. I saw some of you gristle at this, but David talks about it. I mean, he gets very cannibalistic, right? He says, you know, eating of flesh. Like, I, you, don't want, you didn't come to church to hear about eating flesh, right? Eating human flesh. Is that why you came today? No. But let me help you in understanding this passage. David is talking about evil. And in God's heart, it ought to be in our heart, when evil is introduced, when evil is in the way, man, it's, we don't make it soft and palpable. We, we don't get past the offensive parts because it is offensive. Like it's very, very hard. And David is saying, there is this evil. And I need a safe place. I need a place where I can hide. And let me tell you, we need that. We need that. I, every Sunday when I stand up here and teach at 9.30 or 11, I'm very aware that you're going to fact check me, and I'm very mindful of that now. But, you know, we're a people who do, we try to do anything to uh, keep ourselves safe and protected, don't we? But can we prevent all accidents? In London at the turn of the century, uh, I, I know some of you vi visit the, the Cathead Distillery place over here, but in London at the turn of the century, these giant um, these giant mounds of beer exploded and beer rushed into the streets of London. Uh, it formed a wave, a wall 30 feet high, and eight people were killed. Some of you are thinking, that's not a bad way to go, right? Being drunk, I mean, being, you know, drowning in beer. There's, there's worse ways. In 1910, in our own country, in the great historic city of Boston, giant vats of molasses burst oozing out into the streets of Boston, killing 25 people, apparently 25 very slow people. But these things actually happen. And listen to me, we are today, we are today, I mean, you can, we're the most seat-belted, airbagged, helmeted, medicated, insured, inoculated, protected, sheltered people in history. And you can buckle up and button up and cover up and you can slow down and hunker down and batten down the hatches, but you cannot escape what some bad that can happen to you. I read recently about a man who learned from his insurance provider that most accidents occurred one mile from home. He moved. Look, we can't, we can't prevent bad things from happening to us, but we try. We try over and over again. And here's what I want you to know. The stories of the Bible weren't written by people who were experiencing safety and ease and comfort. It was written, penned by people who were in fear probably every day of death and of danger. And into this we see this song, Lord, you are my shelter 
in the day of trouble. Not from. Notice the preposition. Prepositions are small words in the English language, in any language, but they're really important. A preposition is a word that comes before a noun or a pronoun that expresses a relation to a, 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 a subject in that expression or that clause or sentence. And they're very important. And David does not pray, Lord, you are a shelter from trouble. Now, he is a deliverer. And when he delivers you, he takes you from something. I've experienced it in my life. I've seen God be a deliverer. But here he says you are a shelter in the day of trouble. You're going to have the trouble. You're going to be in the trouble. But God is a shelter in that trouble. Remember what we said last week when Jesus said, do not fear. Jesus is so different from your mama. In some ways, if you have a great mom, he's, a, he's, a lot, he's like your mama. But your mama, we learned last week, your mama told you so many times, do not be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. But Jesus says, do not be afraid. There's something to be afraid of. And he wants to show us that he's our shelter, that he's our rock, that he's our high tower, strong tower, right there, even in the midst of the trouble. So David's fear was related to evil. And there was a, a good nodding of heads today. Evil is in this world. And David, who prayed here in Psalm 27, when he talked to God, I hope you talked to God about all the stuff in your life. David talked to God about the evildoers, the adversaries, his foes. Before that, he would pray a prayer that's famous, a prayer that I've quoted at so many graveside funerals, a prayer that I've seen read or quoted around a hospital room when a loved one is holding the hand of a loved one who's passing from this life into the next. David said famously in Psalm 23, I will fear no but yet, he wrestles with that very thing. I will fear no evil. To live in this world is to experience it. And we're haunted by the questions. Evil, what are its, what are its origins? Will it triumph in the end? There's so much resignation. There's so much resignation in our world. Look, watch the news. Consider the headlines. But the sky, look, look the sky is not following. We know who wins and we know ultimately who holds the victory and so while our hearts break and while we're concerned about it and while we need to be a part of the solution of the problem of evil today we don't panic what are its origins will it triumph and how can you overcome evil I've been reading a lot the last week or two about this very subject about evil and how it takes roots in human hearts you know it's a common story where someone is mistreated in our day we call it bullying Someone, they have pain, hurt, or mistreatment inflicted on them. And then what do they do? They brood over it. Bitterness, anger, rage, malice can set in. They turn it over and over and over in their mind. And listen, they become a victim. It becomes a part of their identity. They don't seek the help and the healing. They say, this is who I am. And evil, in full effect, it takes root in a human heart. And that person, that evil person says, I am going to inflict pain and harm on others. In February, we stood, Susan and I, with friends in Israel on the border of Syria. We were 40 miles from Damascus. Chemical warfare is happening now. Evil is everywhere. Everywhere there. In the fall, back in October, we took a trip to California without kids. And we were out there, and we were in the desert visiting Susan's mother. 
and we, we left the California desert to drive to the coast, to jo- to the coast rather, to join some pastors and their spouses for a church planting conference in Newport Beach because God had called us to Newport Beach. And we were there in a hotel room. We had just checked in. And Susan was going to bed. She's godly and goes to bed at a good hour, and I stay up. And she, I, she, when we went to bed, uh, we, we saw the breaking news in October of a Jason Aldean outdoor concert. And there was a shooting, and we saw people running from this venue. They went to be entertained, not to be slaughtered. And as she was going to bed, I stayed up and I watched. And she woke up and she said, was anybody harmed? Was any fatalities? And I said, sweetie, it was the largest mass murder in our nation's history. You know the saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? Evil doesn't stay. Evil spreads. Good and evil don't stay. They have ripple effects from their origins. And so we learn. We learn from the psalmist. The one who wrote 27 wrote 23. I will fear no evil. And those evildoers, those who are speaking evil of me, I give them to him. Jesus put it this way and somebody needs to hear it today. I know I do. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Blessed are you when people, what? Insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What? Paul would say it later. Romans 12, y'all, is so good, so rich. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Don't, when you love, don't love in a hypocritical way. Be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. And he says this, it's already on the screen, Romans 12, 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In 1955, a Sunday school teaching follower of Jesus named Rosa Parks was asked to move to the back of the bus. And in that moment, she was no longer afraid of what was happening, the hatred and intolerance around her. And she wouldn't go to the back of the bus, and she was jailed. She lost her job. She had death threats. Many, many, many years ago, many years later, rather, she died at a ripe old age of 92. I don't know if you know this story, but when she died those years ago at 92, she was the uh, first woman to be laid at rest in a capital rotunda. And over 30,000 people waited in line to pay their respects. Overcome evil with good. You afraid of the evil in our world today? Amber alerts, terrorist threats, school shootings chemical warfare the heart of somebody listen I never knew when I became a pastor I would be targeted and talked about many times unfairly and falsely never knew that visited with a friend this week he was telling me what someone said about him I was like well you know you know it's true but uh, and we can talk about that but that's not right but you know it's kind of true what they're saying about you so Let's take that to Jesus. And that can be true of me, but look, when, when, they, when they're false in it, 
And Jesus is saying, man, you don't fight evil with more evil. That doesn't work. That is not the way to follow Jesus. Can I hear it, church? That's not the way. We overcome evil with, with good, with goodness and walking into that goodness. I will fear no evil. Jesus said, deliver us from evil. Would you pray with me as we close and would you stand?